My friends, what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. Here we go. All right. Thanks for joining us, Craig. Um, hey, listeners, and welcome to a extra special episode of Heresy Grad School. Um, we have with us a very, very special guest. We have Andrew Hollis of Australia's Ultima Sector. Um, if you don't know him, you should. He's done some amazing work for the Heresy community. Uh, most recently, if anybody's been paying attention, uh, just had a very successful Kickstarter of uh, Remembrancers cards. Excuse me, Remembrancers cards. Um, that uh, everyone on the Re- Remembrancers retreat was a part of. So, uh, welcome to the show again, Andrew. Thanks very much. It's great to be back. Yeah. So uh, I figured let's uh, jump into it. And for those of our few viewers, I hope most of them are educated by this point. Introduce yourself. <laughs> no worries. Um, so I'm Andrew Hollis or Dono, as some people know me. Uh, I started and run uh, Oz30K, uh, which is basically a community focused um, kind of project uh, that started off as a website uh, to for people to put up their uh, narrative campaigns and that sort of stuff and basically evolved a little bit into uh, just trying to produce narrative campaign uh, community focused things for the heresy um, i also run uh, tagged events uh, which is kind of the the commercial arm of oscity case so we run uh, kickstarter projects and sell models uh, which then basically funds the activities of oscity uh, k um, and then uh, on the on the side, with whatever time remains, I, I then used to run uh, a lot of events and that sort of stuff before all all the COVID isolations. But hopefully next year we can get back into some event running as well. Knock on wood. That's it. Yeah, um, I know. Right before we we started recording, you were just uh, you're working on boxing up some of those beautiful. Um, those uh, Terminator pledges that uh, that Kickstarter you just finished up. Yeah, yeah, that's um, the 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 joy of Kickstarters is the um, the boxing up of all of the pledges. It's certainly something that I don't like, but uh, it, it's great to see that the project went so well. It was a little bit of a a gamble and a uh, a weird one, an experiment. I wanted to see uh, the, the the different methods for creating models. So most of the models that we see nowadays are 3D designed, master printed, and then molded and cast. Um, I wanted to try and do something that was traditionally hand sculpted. So that was with Robbie Crawford um, models. And so all of those ones are actually hand sculpted. Um, they look very different to the norm. Um, they've got that bit of a kind of the, the Rogue Trader era throwback, um, a little bit of that aesthetic to them. Um, I was going to say but, they have that that retro, I, I guess chunky is the only word that I can really describe it, 
but but it yeah. has that it 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 sits in the back of your brain. You're like, oh yeah, wait, I remember when there were models like this. That's right. Yeah. So it it's certainly not everyone's cup of tea, uh, but it I think he managed to kind of modernize that aesthetic enough that it doesn't look too dorky, but it's still got that old style dorkiness to it. If you know what, it's really hard to explain, but. Not new um, dork, yeah. but old dork, because old dork is cool. Yeah, I got you. Don't worry. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I I thought it was interesting because like you you're you or that play or that Kickstarter was almost like right at the top of this this new wave of people wanting like Saturnite Terminators or Saturnite. Excuse me. I always mispronounce that. <laughs> um, you know, and and I've seen it from like a 3D printing perspective with uh, different Patreons and things like that. So I just thought it was cool that like we've, I think within this year or this past almost two years, we've just seen so many different versions of of a model that almost everyone universally wishes Ford World or GW would would create again. You know. Yeah. It it was certainly a bit of a surprise that they didn't go down that path. I left it off for a while, so there was there was interest kind of three or four years ago, um, starting to build, and then of course because these are hand sculpted, these are a long term project. Like these these took a good six nine months to actually hand sculpt, and then they had to be shipped from England, and then the master molds created. So the the fact that around the release time of the project there was another three or four projects all culminating it was actually very coincidental because obviously all of those 3d projects took a lot shorter time frame to produce um mine was kind of 12 months in the making um so it was it was and i think it was good that all of them were actually released around the same time because then no one was running around going Oh, such and such is copying off such and such and all of that sort of stuff. It was all of these projects were done independently and you can see the different interpretations and modernizations of that original design, uh, which I thought was fantastic. Um, so it was, yeah, it was really good to see like a solid three or four different designs come out. Um, yeah, most definitely. Um, and I, I, I will 100% commend you and say that your design definitely like because i followed the process that that you kept on posting up on uh, your facebook page um and just the the slow build and molding um of the model itself or of the prototypes was was pretty fantastic to watch just that whole labor of love um oh it was scary it was because i'm not a very good artist in the physical sense I, I like writing things but i can't see how something will develop and so i'm sitting here after kind of commissioning robbie and i'm looking at these rough sculpts thinking ah oh, shit what have i done these just look like blocky plasticine men <laughs> i was freaking because i'm like where's the details that this this looks terrible <laughs> Oh, but, but they, they, they but they out. turned out perfect, you know. That's right. They they ended up nice. Uh, that's that's my problem is I just can't see the uh, kind of the end stage and that sort of stuff. So I, I'm largely kind of reliant upon the artists to do their thing, and I, I have to trust them. So, yeah. 
So I will let Dave take over in a minute, but I do want to ask you about um, the most recent Kickstarter that you just had for the um, Remembrancers. Wow, why do I have such a hard time saying our own name? Uh, Card deck. (laughs) And and just the, the thought process. And I know... I know, you know, you started out with just the the playing cards and I've seen, I don't have any personally, but I know Dave has some and I've, and I've seen some of them and some of the other people in the 30K podcasting community have been collecting them for years. And just, you know, was that the start of the idea of having this entire deck or? Um, It's a little bit of a weird one. Uh, So those particular portraits that you're seeing um, that were done by James Caldebank, uh, they're part of a collection of portraits that I started getting done um, two, nearly three years ago through him as a bit of a side project, um, which was uh, kind of not secret, but something that I was working on by myself, which was basically where the, the the profits from all of the the kickstarters from tagged events go went to it was a project to recognize and thank um the event organizers and the people involved in establishing the the 30k community uh first started in in australia and then i kind of expanded it to around the world and so those portraits were the one part of it uh, and they were included in the first series of the collector cards, which is where people were originally exposed to them. Um, and as as the, the project started nearing completion, James and I kind of sat there and we looked through them and kind of like, there's 52 portraits. It's like, we can't not build a deck of cards. Having, we, we weren't aim, aiming specifically for 52 portraits, but it just ended up being we've we've got that many let's like it's got to be done kind of serendipitous um, if you'd say that's right um and they just worked so perfectly in that uh they, they weren't poker size they were bridge size so they're a little bit narrow so something a little bit more unique um and it, it worked well to tie into uh in the same style as the blanche deck of cards that was released a, a few years ago the um the the normal poker deck uh, so it was it was something a little bit on the side uh, that I thought that would be really cool. And I know that a lot of people who had their portraits done as part of that gift would probably like to, to have a deck of cards as well. So it, it certainly wasn't a kind of a big reimbursement one. It was more, hey, I'm printing these. Anyone else want to jump on the print? And if we get more, kind of we can up, do some upgrades for the same price and that sort of stuff. So that was kind of how the the deck of cards came about. It was never really planned to be a deck of cards. Those portraits were always planned to, to be part of a thank you pack that is slowly now being distributed to people. Um, so it's kind of uh, just a bit of a, a side effect um, that came out. And I, yeah, I think they turned out really well. James and I were really happy with them. I mean, I, I know you sent uh, sent us the the guys on uh remembrances retreat just like it, you sent us the the proofs of the the images of everybody on the cast and i think legitimately our 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 little chat group on facebook like we spent a solid three days just like oh wow i didn't even notice this was on jason on the hem of jason's cloak or ooh, dave's got that cool that kind of thing like we were just 
completely obsessed with them. Um, yeah, it's they're phenomenal works. Like the the and when you uh, you guys will receive your packages, hopefully in before the end of the year, when you see the actual, these are all hand inked painted pictures. They they're not digital. Um, they are hand done on kind of A4 sheets of card. Um, so they're they're quite good sized. And he just, the way that he's been able to keep them all unique and tie them to um, their their kind of original person that it was based on is, is fantastic. Um, I've tried to have a look through the vast bulk of them, but, yeah, as I said, there's 50-plus portraits. Mm. So I'm kind of looking at them, and uh, but I've got to try and send them out as well. So <laughs> um, it's he, his, really, his... really well done. He's he's does excellent work. His his grasp of that Blanche just style of like uh, of grittiness is, is spot on. Um, yeah, and I know I just got my invoice for shipping, so I can't wait to see them. Um, and <laughs> I'm sure everybody else in the cast can't wait to see them. I know Dave and I. Um, I blame Dave for this, but I got into Necromunda, and I'm playing Corpse Grinders. But I've we've enjoyed using. Um, because you can use the Blanche cards for uh, for like special secret objectives and things like that. So like you know yeah. we don't need that deck anymore. We now have a deck with us in it. Um, Excellent. Yeah. But uh, other than that, I think my only question for you is when can I buy the Orc book? <laughs> um, the Orc book is uh, literally being printed both in the states and in the UK now. Um, so the proof from both printers hasn't quite been done. I think they're at, at binding stage. Um, as soon as they're bound, they then send me some really detailed pictures. I'll give the thumbs up, um, and then they will go into kind of the pre-order prints. Um, so yeah, literally anyone who's, who's keen for the 30K York Green Book, um, can start ordering it now um so as i mentioned that we're now printing in the states as well to try and reduce the we were losing dozens of books being shipped from the uk to the states they were just going right. missing so uh, so i do know uh, sorry I, I do know that you were uh you're, you're working on your your final edits and and little point adjustments for the eldar book too if i remember correctly i think i i saw that the other day yeah, the exodite, uh, exodites have been done um, as a framework. So we've kind of got all of the units that we we wanted and the interactions and the rules and that sort of stuff. So we're now just trying to balance some points and uh, kind of make sure that there aren't any terrible combinations. Like one of them came straight out was that we discovered that we'd inadvertently recreated uh, the incubi but seven points cheaper and gave them assault transports and they were troops. So you've got like AP2, strength four, initiative six, striking at initiative in assault transports. And it's like, okay, we need to wind them back. Um, Just just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's things that you, you just don't see when you're engrossed in slowly fleshing out and developing the units. Um, When it's, it's a whole new, kind of army list not being ported from an existing one. So you you just kind of start missing. And that's why we, we released it as a draft, so that people straight off when they're looking at it from afar can kind of go, uh, dude, that 
that unit is just brutal. You need to do something about it. And it's like, okay, yeah, it is. Sorry. Uh, and then you, you fix it up. Um, and I will, and I will say real quick for, for everyone who's listening to this, um, you, I would a hundred percent suggest buying an actual book, um, from, from Andrew, but also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, the rules are also free on a drive. Oh yeah, for sure. So the, the intent, uh, from the start was to make all of these PDFs, um, and freely accessible PDFs. The, the hardcover books are literally group pre-orders. So what we do is we, we get a group of pre-orders um, and then we print them to order. So we don't kind of print 100 and then try to sell them to people. It's literally kind of, okay, who wants one? We'll gather up a, a, a group order and then we'll print those that group and then send them out to people. Uh, but the, the primary thing is about the army list. So... Um, all of the army lists are, are free via PDF. Basically, all we're doing is just offering, if you really want a cool hardcover book, uh, we'll do a group order and get them printed for you um, so that you don't have to go to a, a once-off printer and pay $150 for, for a book. Um, we can try and kind of get them printed on mass for you. So. And, and let's be honest, hard, I've always been a hard copy kind of guy. You know, you, you can't, yeah, you can't go wrong with a good book in your hand. Um, yeah, it, this is all selfish. It's it's I, I've updated <laughs> it I want it. Uh, it's like I want a hardcover book. I don't want to pay one hundred and fifty dollars for a hardcover book. Hey, who else wants one? It's like try and get the price down. There you so. go. Well, I think that's it for me. I I just wanted to cover um, your your kickstarters and and what's going on with the printing and stuff like that. But I think I'm going to hand it over to uh, Dave and Jason to kind of do some deep diving on on this beautiful lore that you just that you showed us uh the last couple of days yeah, no worries. yeah thanks pat uh i mean we, we sort of told pat that he could have you know a couple questions on orcs you know because we weren't going to get away with uh without him asking about something but uh mute your audio don't make <laughs> but um we got to do something considering we don't pay him yeah that's fair <laughs> It's fair. Got to throw him something. Let's throw him a bone. Um, the last time we had you on, Andrew, was actually back in May. Um, I think the episode released on May twelfth. So it's been, you know, it's been almost four months. And when we were talking with you last time, we did get a little um, peek behind the curtain on a project that you were working on with um, your rogue traders, um, specifically. Um, Gabrielle uh, Calathetos. Did I say that right? Calathetos? Perfect. Perfect. Um, and we did manage to get our hands on again a little secret. Uh, you know, I won't say how we did it, but, you know, through sources in the Inquisition, um, I am looking at a prototype of, uh, I mean, it just, it's, 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 mind-blowing man i mean this this project i don't know how long you've been working on it we'll get into all that but uh i mean just you can tell the love and the passion and just the labor um that you've put into this because i, I mean I, I as soon as i got it man i had to read through the whole thing you know the whole 20 30 pages the all the maps um the lore the art i mean it's just um it's amazing and uh, it's, I just, it, wow. 
So thank you very much. Yeah, man. No, absolutely. And you know, I think I'm really excited because number one, we're a lore podcast. I think, you know, as as a sort of under the umbrella of the retreat, the remembrancers retreat, um, you know, those guys will yeah, they'll talk list builds and they're very smart and they're very good at all that. And um I just I'm not. And so <laughs> the, I like to talk about the history, right? And then look at the maps and the dates and uh, all the, you know, the sort of little Easter eggs hidden in there, man. And I know Jason and Pat do too. So. Cool. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. The, so the Librarium Terra, uh, which is the, the book that you're, you're talking about, that's, uh, that's basically what I originally wanted the, the green books to be like. Um, however, I quickly, realized that it was too ambitious um it was going to be too ambitious to do a necron black book uh, an orc black book and a craft world eldar black book so rather than kind of drag out all of those army lists over the course of five years which is what it was going to end up taking me to do instead i decided to do all of the green books first um, so get the, the army lists, so basically the equivalent of the Heresy Red Books out of the way, uh, and they were just literally the core army lists so people could field an army. And then after that, or now that they're approaching the combination, I'm going to start doing a series of uh, what I've named Librarium Terror books, and they're a cross between the Black Book the old Imperial Armour and the Apocalypse War Zones. Um, the intent is to have a huge amount of narrative and fluff and maps and that sort of stuff, coupled with uh, some campaign information based on that setting and then some uh, some rule sets and some lists similar to the, the old Imperial Armour, how they had the Death Corps, the, the Elysian Drop Troopers, uh, in the Badab War, they had expansion on BFG and that sort of stuff. Um, so, uh, for example, this first one is, as you said, based on the Rogue Trader Gabriel Kalathetos. Um, and th this book will basically describe how she became a Rogue Trader, uh, the original kind of founding of the dynasty, her adventures in the first few years uh, of the... Um, the Great Crusade before she leaves Imperial space and then kind of rejoins it. A lot of all of these uh, wars and that sort of stuff are actually based on events and campaigns that we've done in the past, um, and they've kind of all just been tweaked a little bit to fit in. Um, so it's it's really kind of intended to uh, build a story and a setting to complement the list which is later on in the book, which is the Rogue Trader mini list coupled with the um, the Agents and Fugitives of Oz 30K, which is just a really big expanded list of agents that you can bring uh, for both Xenos and Normal Imperial. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm so excited about this in so many ways, man. I mean, I think you just hit on like a half dozen of them. Uh, Imperial Armor, uh, man, do I wish we could go back to the heady days of you know um epic and bfg 
all rolled up into uh, just a beautiful campaign supplement. But I mean, honestly, this is uh, this is going to be that. I mean, it's and it's uh, it's really cool that you're incorporating the community into it through sort of the games that have happened. Um, I think that's the greatest part of this, uh, you know, hobby is that it is kind of collective storytelling, you know, on sort of a meta level. Um, when you can go play in an event over a few days um, with a bunch of guys that you might only see once a year, um, which was what Adepticon was for so long, you know, it was the Gomeza campaign. And, um, you know, those guys just, they just put on a great, just put on a great event, you know, the, the Grand Legion guys. And, I kind of hope that we see more of this. I mean, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, Andrew, this is this this is and could be sort of the blueprint, the prototype for uh, what maybe really, you know, ambitious, but also, you know, dedicated gaming groups could do in the future, man, because this is really all I've ever wanted to do is just the, you know, the collective storytelling that becomes you know, a campaign setting and has uh, rules for narrative play and lists that are custom. And I mean, it's just so good, man. Yeah, for sure. And that is part of what I'm I'm hoping to do, it, depending on time, motivation, that sort of stuff. Like I've got a big ambitious list of things I want to do with them. Uh, whether I pull them all off or not is another thing. But something that is going to be incorporated heavily into it is um the the 40k crusade campaign uh mechanic i believe is fantastic um it, it's something that i'm actually kind of going to be porting across to our local community group and it'll be in the first uh, library and terror uh it gives you such a light framework for campaigns but a progressive campaign system and it's built so that it can work with these individual campaigns so well so like there will be a gabriel calathetos campaign supplement for the, the crusade system so it's got your own expansions and relics and that sort of stuff you do another one for uh the savage system uh you you then just incorporate a few different new tables and it supplements it so that sort of campaign system works really, really well, both on its own, but also in conjunction with other uh, more depth campaign systems that other groups might might do. So that will definitely be something that will feature in the books. And there is, there is intention to do more books, not just in the 30K setting or the, the, the Horus Heresy setting. Um, we're looking at doing a 40k version, so basically doing a blue book, which will be all of the pre-Primaris Space Marine, just a compiled into a seventh edition um, army list. And then building on that, we will do um, the same thing. There'll be a Librarium Terror series, Badab War, the Savat Crusade, the Apostasy. So each one of those books will kind of retell the story from a different perspective that the existing lore already has. And then it will give supplementary lists, a campaign setting, um, expanded rules and that sort of stuff, and go on from there. Going the other direction, the Unification Wars, uh, mm -hmm. that's definitely on the cards. We're going to do a yellow book for the Unification Wars 
um, so that you get your Thunder Warriors and your um, your Geno 52 and that sort of stuff. And then black books uh, basing on the old empires uh, and kingdoms that uh, the emperor took over, and those will contain lore and the stories plus um, army lists and expanded rules. So a very ambitious kind of uh, range of titles, but this is my hobby type thing. I, I don't paint or anything, so I really enjoy writing these books, uh, and they're certainly not going to be all smashed out in the next couple of months, uh, so this is a very long-term project, but that's kind of the idea where we're going um, in the same kind of feel that you're seeing in that first chapter of the Librarium Terra. So uh, lots of custom maps, lots of pop-in boxes. Um, we've, we've tried to keep the feel of the, the Heresy Black Books. I've tried to kind of uh, mimic the layout that um, they were using and that sort of stuff to make it feel familiar, but still my own content um, and go from there. It's just, it, it will take some time because I'm, I'm literally writing it myself as making it all up as I go type thing. Yeah, I mean, it may be ambitious for other people, but honestly, having the first chapter, which is like 30 pages and seeing the the quality of it, um, I mean, I, I can't wait and it's gonna happen. And uh, it's gonna be amazing. Uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be great. Um, I don't want to steal this whole show though from uh, from Jason, and uh, I know he's got some probably some questions. And then, uh, Andrew, are we allowed to talk about some of the events that have happened in the first chapter? Is that about uh, yeah. Gabrielle and sort of her um, her lore and her origin story? Yep, for sure. Yeah, awesome. That's all. Happy to discuss. So, so I will admit. I'm going to let Dave do the heavier lore lifting here because um, uh, I'm not going to lie. I think he's better at it than I am. But uh, I had a few questions about kind of your thought processes when you were putting this together. Like, I know it's a little bit of a cliche to ask an artist, like, where does your inspiration come from? But <laughs> it's a couple of things like that that really kind of jumped out at me as I was reading through. Uh, so the first yeah. thing for me, um, Gabrielle Calathitos, uh, that's possibly the coolest artwork I've seen of a mortal character in quite some time. And uh, I know listeners know uh, mortal armies are near and dear to my heart. So uh, one of my first questions was, Calathitos sounds really, really familiar to me. And I was curious where you picked that up from. Like, who is Calathetos to you? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so, Gabrielle Calathetos is obviously the, uh, the the model, the Kickstarter that I ran late last year for the 2020 OS30K model. Um, that, that Kickstarter was always intended to tie in with um, this book and this character and this story. The... The story uh, and the name um, Gabriel Kalathetos is actually uh, one of my um, uh, nicknames, alternative names that I used when I was in a sword fighting community. Um, so Gabriel is basically me. Um, and the original idea was 
I was going to kind of write the story with me secretly as the, the primary uh, character. The more I thought about it, the more I wanted the character to actually be different. Um, and it, it then started evolving to itself and he became a she and she then took on kind of her own persona and kind of branched away from the intent of it being me and me writing about myself and my armies and that sort of stuff. Um, so Kalathetos is is very Greek. Um, so it's, uh, I believe it means of good character. Um, and so that name kind of set the scene for everything else. Um, so my persona in the sword fighting group was Greek, Corinthian, um, and I had like a, a Greek Corinthian suit of armor and that sort of stuff. Uh, I've got the uh, the sword and everything, um, and so that's where my legacy kind of uh, left left its imprint. That story uh, definitely continued on down that Greek path, um, and so that formed the basis of everything. And it it really spiraled out from there. So a lot of the stuff in, especially Bly's law. Um, is based off um, corrupted uh, earth historical kingdoms and that sort of stuff. Uh, so I took the same page and basically took the, the old Greek city-states and made this entire um, kind of subsector pretty much ancient Greece, uh, Mediterranean type thing. The systems are a corrupted name to those locations. Um, the, the twin systems that it's based in, uh, are the different is one of the, the leagues with all of the, the city states as planets. Uh, it, it doesn't take too much kind of uh, looking to actually see them, obviously, Corinthios and Athens and all of that sort of stuff. And from there, it, it's so easy to start building up the narrative. Uh, you look for interesting things within within that history, and then you start augmenting it and changing it slightly. And it, it yeah, it becomes fun to build it from there. You know, Andrew, one of the things I love most about the first chapter here is not that we just kind of get introduced to, to uh, Gabrielle um, and her story, but we also get sort of the background lore for the rogue traders. And, um, you know, there have been some amazing Rogue Trader supplements. Uh, there was an RPG that was published by Fantasy Flight Games um, that both uh, Alan Bly and Andy Hoare were both very instrumental, and John French as well, um, were both very instru all instrumental in sort of developing. And uh, But it never really went into sort of the, the deep lore at the beginning of the heresy um, and the crusade and sort of the almost the Faustian bargain that these rogue traders had to accept, right? It, it wasn't the deal of a lifetime, right? When they were given their first writ or their warrant of trade, this is, this wasn't what we, you know, reading back on it sort of, you know, when I was, you know, much younger and, you know, 40 K days and it was, you're a rogue trader is sort of like you were an ultimate authority unto yourself. Um, yeah, if you had survived ten thousand years, you probably were. But but these these first rogue traders were were very different from that. And I love the way you've laid this out. Um, I love the way 
that you sort of explained um, how they had to take the knee and accept sort of this, uh, really this this sort of devil's bargain where either you go out ahead of the crusade fleet, you know, as this almost like a scout, like a picket, and uh, you, you report back, or you're going to be sort of put to the sword, you know, like any one of the other thousands of worlds that did not accept the, you know, imperial deal from right off the right off the beginning, you know. So that's right. Yeah, it it's certainly something that I encounter a lot with with all of the projects that I'm doing in the 30k. That there's a especially with the Xenos stuff as well. That there's a certain amount of liberty I need to take because there's not a whole lot of established law. Um, and I've basically got to go, well, I like this idea and I'm going to run with it. People might interpret it differently and later on Forge World might contradict what I, I've decided to go down, but so be it. I, I've To make it worthwhile, I've got to actually expand it a little bit more. So I, I try to find as much information as I can. So there are tidbits about the establishment of the Rogue Traders militant in the Black Books um, and one of the passage, passages there directly state that a lot of the the early rogue traders were it was the ultimatum it was we've taken over your world you were the king the general whatever someone of extreme influence you can either die here or you can be useful to the new imperium and go out and be a sacrificial lamb in front of the fleet and if you manage to survive all of this then yeah you can have some spoils and you can have rewards but a long way away from your home you're, you're too influential to leave in your home world um, because you led the insurrection against me um, and so I'm not going to let you do that again, which is specifically what uh, Gabrielle's situation was. So I really wanted to paint that picture of, yes, in 40K, rogue traders are the romanticised um, uh, uh, pirates going round, they can do anything they want and it's people strive to become it. But in the 30K, there were some that were put in the position as a reward, but a lot of them, as you said, it was like, well, die or or be this person that's going to be out in front, be our sacrificial scout that needs to do all of this work. So I wanted to kind of convey that this is not a great deal, but they're trying to make the best of a bad situation. They're alive, their people are alive, um, and they've got the opportunity to start a new life type thing. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great segue to, to Gabrielle herself, because not everybody takes the, um, takes the offer, right? Um, I mean, some, some people have uh, decided that it's better to die with, you know, whatever honor and, and, you know, their sacrifice to their, their family and their world, um, you know, than, uh, than join with the Imperium. But, uh, but so we meet Gabrielle in a cluster of worlds, um, go ahead and go ahead and lay it out for us. <laughs> so Gabrielle was the, uh, she's basically the general or the leader of uh, the world of Corinthios. Um, and so the, the, the cluster of twin worlds, sorry, twin systems um, is basically one of the old Hellenic League um, gathering of city-states. Uh, and it was under control of um, a single kind of uh, dictator. Uh, and then when 
just before the Imperium arrives uh, on the Great Crusade, each of the worlds rebel, uh, trying to regain their uh, autonomy again. So with the arrival of um, the Crusade fleet, they believe that their kind of prayers have been answered, so to speak, because the, the Crusade fleet immediately starts attacking the incumbent dictator. Um, and basically, as soon as they've secured the twin systems, the Crusade fleet then turn on the independent um, rebels um, to basically stamp them out. So they're just changing one dictator to another. Um, and one of the things was that I, I tried to kind of, again, convey was that once the uh, compliance forces had destroyed the incumbent power, they then turned on the individual generals and the rebel leaders um, and rounded them up. Uh, because, again, if if those individual leaders were able to lead an insurrection against a, a system-spanning empire, then they could do it again against the Imperium. So they didn't want those people present and in power and able to launch another insurrection in a decade's time. Um, and so, as you said, a lot of the, the leaders of the different worlds um, decided to face execution rather than serve the Imperium. Um, but two or three of the leaders, Gabrielle being one of them, maybe they're a little bit more cowardly. Maybe they wanted to live, um, but they they took the knee and became a, a rogue trader um, and kind of left their system. Uh, and I think that's where the first chapter finishes, where she's just taking the knee and um, kind of yeah. from there it will then kind of tell the the different uh, adventures that she'll have for the next kind of couple of decades. That's that's awesome, man, and absolutely not a coward. Uh, I think we learn very early on that she's um, she's kind of a badass, but uh, we won't spoil too much. Um, I I love, though, that, you know, as the 719th Expeditionary Fleet sort of rolls up on um, the the Delios cluster, that you've got already a Forge World, Right, so this is pre-contact with Mars, but it's still Forge World. It was when I, you know, and maybe they do have contact with Mars. We're not really sure, but they they certainly were settled during either the Dark Age of Technology or the Age of Strife, and 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 they're they're communicating with these other um, systems, right? These other worlds, and so the worlds are sort of this. Um, this group of oligarchs, I guess you could say, you know, sort of technocracy or whatever, are are asking the Ford world for material assistance in exchange for material wealth, but then also putting down the rebellion. And they sort of get down this um, hole of, of indebtedness, right, where they've just asked the Forge world for so much help. Uh, that now the Forge world essentially, it, it's almost like a, a client-patron uh, relationship, right? Where they've just sort of become indebted to the Forge world. And I I love that it's not just a the Great Crusade expeditionary fleet rolls up, finds an isolated world, and conquers it, right? Like, there was there's shit going on, man, that's been going on for 10,000 years, you know? It's like... It's not like there were just isolated worlds out in the galaxy. There were very much established systems, subsectors, sometimes human xenos, uh, empires, you know? So I, I just yeah. love that you added all that detail in there. It was certainly um, an element that I, I really enjoyed in some of the other books and then kind of 
tidbits that they drop. They don't cover it too much in some of the black books, but they do mention that there are certainly inter-system empires that they encounter or uh, systems that have got the capacity to to do inter-system travel. So I wanted to incorporate that one. So that the Forge world that you mentioned are the are kind of the intermediaries between um, the uh, Gabrielle's twin systems uh, and then another one to Corwood, which is basically uh, Macedon. Um, and they, over the, the course of centuries, kind of build up an invasion fleet, um, and then they're the ones that go in and take over um, the, uh, the, the twin systems, um, the Planos systems, and kind of create this dictatorship. Um, but they basically overstretch their logistics, and they're there and get bogged down in a guerrilla war, and they can't afford to bring in more troops from their old system, so they get isolated there. And as you said, they become indebted to the Forge world to the point that they have to seed them a world. And basically the Forge world gets their own little private Forge world within the system, so a bit of a foothold. And then when the Imperium comes, the Forge world just goes, yeah, these guys are going to kick ass. We're just going to side with them. I, I tried <laughs> to make them as, as cold and calculating as possible and go, well, there's no loyalties. It's like... Imperium's here, they're taking over shit. So, yeah, we'll just spread all of the secrets, let them take over, and as long as we can keep our own little domain, we're happy. Um, so <laughs> that, that's kind of the setting that I wanted to, to put there. And then as it will continue, um, I, I kind of want to expand on some of those distant systems that were still interacting to a smaller extent um, before she kind of leaves that subsector and goes on. That's one thing Dave said that I kind of wanted to expand on, touch a bit on, because I feel like it's really unique. Uh, it's something that really jumped out at me when we did the Coronid Deeps, and I think it really stands out here, is the little system and universe you've created feels completely independent. Uh, like Dave was saying, it's going about its own life. It has its own things going on far before the Imperium ever you know, hops in and you know, insert some ultramarines where they're not wanted, you know, in typical fashion. But it really feels like a living, breathing series of systems that have been, you know, surviving and doing their own thing for decades, centuries before, because the Imperium is certainly not the center of the universe. And I just wanted to say, I think you did a really good job in really kind of elucidating that. Thank you. Yeah, it's something that I've got a, a bit of practice on, and Oz30K, the website, assists, assists me greatly with that in that it has become its own living entity with, with so many campaigns and so many player groups populating their worlds uh, and their systems. You can kind of, you're in an established environment and a lot of our games and campaigns were Great Crusade, not Horus Heresy, because uh, we've we've always kind of had Rebels and Xenos and that sort of stuff. So I was kind of a little bit used to creating the, the, the narrative and the fluff of a non-imperial human world and existing and kind of having to build some background and why they're here and what they were doing and that sort of stuff. And I've always found it a little bit more interesting than... Um, focusing on 
the compliance action. So in the book, you'll you'll find that there's there's a there's a lot more information on what the world existed like and how it interacted, rather than all focus on the the imperial side of things. Um, I like the imperial and I like expeditionary forces and that sort of stuff, but uh, the entire point of this is that. It's a story about the other players in the Great Crusade, which were the, the Xenos and the Rogue Traders. I, I don't, I don't see the Rogue Traders as being imperial. I see the Rogue Traders as being basically human Xenos. That makes a whole deal of sense. It's like a really loose alliance, like even looser than they'd have with, say, the Mechanicum. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of a a, a death deal uh, of an enslavement basically um it's like you you guys didn't come into compliance willingly and we, we don't fully trust you you're not part of us but you are human so we will happily work alongside you but yeah you you are our bitch it's a good way of putting it in imperial terms <laughs> uh it's yeah i think you made a good point too is there's a lot more to the Great Crusade than just compliance actions. And uh, I mean, I've said for a long time, I'm kind of a broken record with it, but uh, I think the mortal armies are far more interesting to me uh, throughout the length and breadth of the Great Crusade going on. Because at the tops, you have, like, even at their height, you have, what, five million Astartes, maybe, uh, split between both sides. That's barely, like, you know, a few independent army regiments. And uh, I'll go on the record by saying the most fun I think you can have in a game of 30k is something like a militia on solar auxilia. Uh, it's essentially, you know, bolt action with lasers. And it's pretty <laughs> terrific. Not going to lie. I think uh, they're some of the most fun uh, 30k games I've ever had. Yeah, it does, uh, like... Obviously, it's the pin-up, poster child, all of that sort of stuff for the Marines. But you're right in that the vast bulk of all of these interactions and that sort of stuff um, would be, would be mortal. Uh, and uh, an element that I could be expanding into, maybe in another book, maybe in this one, is more after that expeditionary fleet leaves, it's it's not over. So like compliance might be declared, but it's not necessarily that the, that world is now loyal. Um, a, a lot of instances, the world would re, like would rebel and that sort of stuff, and it's up to those mortal garrisons that have been left there to suppress them. Um, the, the sisters of silence who have moved in to start harvesting the psychers and that sort of stuff. Um, the reason why they're such a militaristic force is because they're, they're working on often hostile frontier worlds that have still got guerrilla actions and that are it's. They're still trying to suppress the the old religions and introduce the imperial truth, and most of the time the Astartes are gone. They're, they're done. They've done the conquering. Um, there are some legions who do stay around a lot longer than others, like the Ultramarines and Imperial Fists and that sort of stuff. But by and large, once compliance has been declared, they hop on their ships and go to the next world. They're they're too valuable to stay as police. They, they need to be used as the, the conquerors. And so left to these mortal regiments, maybe it's a solar auxilia uh, general who, okay, this is his reward. He's now the planetary governor. So his regiment is the, the garrison now. 
and he's up he's got to do this the, the suppressing and the, the the final conversions and that sort of stuff so there's a lot of stories that are definitely kind of can be told and expanded in and then moving forwards out out in front of the the crusade fleet um the scouts like the rogue traders and that sort of stuff who they don't have the capacity to do a full compliance action but they're encountering these civilizations and they can interact with them uh prepare and lay the way for the the actual expeditionary fleets that come in all right well i feel like we've kind of taken up a lot of your time andrew and i don't want to keep you on the hook for too long and want to also give you time to um tell our listeners and you know sort of what the next couple months or three months of uh, your projects look like um what what's coming to kickstarter uh, what can people look forward to um but i have i have one question i have to ask okay so the the minyark this is this may be too big a spoiler so you could just tell me that we have to wait that's fine totally if i'm totally okay with that but the minyark um there they were maybe could have been uh, a Xenos empire that inhabited some of the ruins of uh, uh, these planets where, uh, you know, Gabrielle and uh, her, her kin were. Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb, man, but they sound a lot like robots in the 40K universe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um... You can plead the fifth. It's okay. You don't have to say. No it. comment is totally okay. It's that was inserted for my own benefit. So I've <laughs> I've got a conundrum with my own army. Like I, I've built a rogue trader army, and I find that I'm kind of obligated to make it Gabriel Kalathedov since I've written the book and kind of made the the model and that sort of stuff. However, I've got a a very large 30k Necron army. Um, I I didn't want to necessarily make her allied with the Necrons, but I wanted to have her armsmen influenced by the Necrons in some way. Um, so yeah, there it's never going to be outwardly said or anything like that. We're basically leaving the worlds now. Um, but there'll be mentions of her armsmen and their their modifications and that sort of stuff. But it's basically they've they've hijacked and piggybacked Necron technology in in a similar sense to the assassins of 40k type thing. It's like, hey, this is cool technology. We're going to try and reverse engineer it or, or use it however we can. Um, so that in itself will play some interactions later on when Gabriel comes across uh, some of the Eldar race and that sort of stuff. Very perfect. Cool. Um, I know Dave had one more had that one question, but I do have just one question. Then plug of course plug all the time. Um, so you know we uh, book nine just came out. Dramas we've got Dark Angels, we've got um, Night Lords. Where would you like to see thirty K move into? Do you, do you think they need to, you know? look back at the crusade maybe a little bit or do you think they're still going on the right trajectory um or is honestly, there like an area you feel like they need to focus in on more 
Uh, honestly, my my thoughts are probably not going to mesh well with others' opinions, but I I honestly think they should wrap the series up with book ten. Um, I think they're starting to uh, flag a lot, uh, and I think the series needs to be finite. And I think if they give um, a, a finish to the series, to the, the Black Book series, they then give themselves an opportunity to clean it up, fine-tune it, fack it, and compile the red books to cover that particular series. So, like, book one to ten, make it a closed series. Perfect it, um, fack it and all of that sort of stuff, and then start looking at a new new theatre, either, either the Great Crusade or um, afterwards um, kind of skip forward a, a century or something. Uh, I've, sorry, I've completely and utterly forgotten what, what you call it directly after the, the heresy. The scouring. Um, the scouring, that's right. Um, kind of do something like that. But I, I know people love... Oh, what, are, what new model are we getting this week? What new model are we getting this week? But I'm not actually a fan of the the ever-growing lists of models that go into the army. Like you look at the Space Marine, the, the Astartes list now, and it's it's huge. Um, it's phenomenally huge. It's too big. Um, I think they need to kind of just close it off. And once you've got a, a closed arc of books, you can really kind of fine-tune them. Um, that's that's my opinion. I, I think it would be good if they, they kind of just finished it off. And then if they wanted to do like a small series on Terror, um, then fair enough, do a three-book series on the War of Terror itself or move on to a four-book series of The Scouring or a five-book series of The Great Crusade. Um, but just continually stretching this Black Book series out I just, I think everybody acknowledges that the the quality is starting to drop a little bit, and that they're not as like they once were, um, for whatever reason that may be. Yeah, I think you you answered my next question essentially, where I, where um, I'm I'm kind of in the that same mindset with you, where maybe book ten, you know, you throw in dark mechanicum stuff. And do everything possible that you need to get done before Terra, and then have yep. have a have a three book series because they're doing and and Dave sings the praises of the these books um, is just the Siege of Terra that that whole series that they're working through, you know maybe work on three main not necessarily black you could call them black books you can call them whatever. But but just around that, and then yeah. clean it up, and maybe maybe cleaning it up leads it into the scouring, or maybe we take a reflection on the Great Crusade, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they need to finalize the factions, and then nearly go into the the, the style of the Imperial Armor and go. All right, well, here's a really cool like campaign that we want to focus on standalone book it's it's a campaign that was partway through the horus heresy 
or it's a campaign that was in the Great Crusade, or it's a campaign that was in the the Scouring, but don't they don't have to feel obligated to make it book eleven, or book twelve, or book thirteen. It's just have that series, have the Black Books Horus Heresy series done, and then start doing these expansions as standalones. Um, yeah, my opinion. <laughs> No, I, I completely agree, Andrew. I think, uh, you know, I've been missing Imperial Armor, and I just, I know Forge World doesn't have the bandwidth to do all the things they're doing right now, um, specialist games, which, by the way, are, are totally amazing. Uh, I mean, what what they're doing with Adeptus Titanicus and uh, Necromunda, I mean, it's amazing. But to then be able to go and do all the Imperial Armor stuff, I think maybe a bridge too far. Um, but I would love to see them get back to that format of a, can- a literal campaign, right? Like the Siege of Rax, right? Like the Badab War, um, or, you know, a compliance type action, um, yeah. but really blow it out. So you've got Titan Legions and Aeronautica Imperialis forces going in, you know? Right, all those things, yeah. Yeah. But, you know... I've made- <laughs> but but you know i we also i feel like this community um has sort of the gravitas to also bring some of that stuff to life right i mean think you know yeah barring forge worlds you know uh bandwidth i i i feel like this right what right what i'm looking at right now um has the gravitas to to do all of that so I, I just want to close by saying thank you, man. Thank you for keeping this community deep and alive. Yeah, most Jeez. definitely. Jeez. Yeah, it's it's certainly something that would, the, the community can pick up and run with. There's there's other groups that are doing it, like the Mournable Event Boys and that sort of stuff, and, and yourselves and some other UK ones and that sort of stuff. And I think people's fear of, oh, it's no longer a supported game is just misfounded. It's If you've got a stable platform like we do with 30k and they go and fine tune it and i think that's far better than a a continually evolving changing disrupted system um if we've got a stable platform that we know what is it's going to be like then we don't run tournaments in 30k we we don't need that support that 40k does continually run its tournaments the vast majority, 99.9% of events run within the 30K setting are run by community. Mm-hmm. If Forge World turn around and stop releasing models, new models, why should those events stop running? They, they won't. Just keep on running them and you've, you've got a known kind of repertoire to work from. And then people like myself and, and Tom and Tim from the Eye of Horus and that sort of stuff, They'll, they'll release new campaign stuff. They'll release new ideas and expand it slowly and work from there. And, yeah, I, I don't believe this thing that uh, if Forge World stops supporting 30K, it'll die. It's up to the community. Uh, if it dies, it's because the community let it die. It's got nothing to do with the uh, Forge World anymore, I believe. And, I, I you know, it, it now feels like a an old adage for for 30k but it, but to me 30k is never about about winning it's about the narrative i mean that's right you you may have a hard list you may have you know 
what looks like an OP army, but at the end of the day, I, I don't go to things like Nova or Adepticon to win. I, I go for the community and I go to like engross exactly. myself in this idea of a, of a, of a campaign, you know, of a narrative. Yeah. And drink a lot of beer. Yeah. Oh, and, and drink and bourbon. Beer, of course. Yeah. Scotch. Oh, Skippy. Um, yeah. We got to get Andrew over here one of these years, man. Whenever, when all this freaking COVID shut clears up, man, get him over. Yeah. Once we can fly again, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but Andrew, the floor is yours, my dude. Uh, plug away. Talk about uh, any new projects that are coming up that people should keep an eye on. Cheers. Cheers. Um, probably the, the big one that I want to try and let people know about will be the, the tradition that Oz30K has set, which is the, the annual event model. Um, so we're about to kind of launch the Kickstarter for the, the 2021 version. Now, I know Gabrielle Kalathetos was the 2020, and there weren't many events for her to be used at. So we're kind of carrying her over into the early part of 2021, but we still want to keep the, the tradition going. So, like, this next Kickstarter is going to be... Um, based around the uh, the Arbites, uh, the Adeptus Arbitus, um, so enforcers, whatever you want to kind of call them. Uh, the the original kind of project name was the Dreaded Judge. Um, so it, it's going to be uh, a, a very senior officer in that enforcement branch. Um, there's a lot of third-party models for rank and file uh, enforcers and Arbitus, but I haven't really seen a really cool-looking Kind of senior judge or marshal or anything like that. So um, this guy is going to be based off one of the uh, agents that's in the Oz30K Fugitives and Agents. Um, and basically, yeah, the, the Kickstarter will be for, for him and the stretch goals will be for some uh, additional arms and weapons. Uh, if we get high enough, he could be mounted on a bike as a, an additional add-on. And then... Um, the, the enslavers from the last project were really, really popular and people were asking about other types of Xenos. So we're going to look at kind of trying to create a tradition of, uh, with the, the regular event model, to introduce a new gribbly monster or something like that each time. So uh, that one's also on the cards. So we're looking at launching that one um, around November 12th, just having some issues with Kickstarter and their identity, identity validation system. It's it's a really weird, wacky system. You, every time we go through a project, you've got to revalidate. And every time I do, I get a different problem crop up. It's very strange. But that's that's kind of the very, very soon one. And something which has been probably the worst kept secret on my part because I got so excited about it is um, early, early next year, in conjunction with the yellow book that we're putting together, I'm going to do a... Uh, Kickstarter for a batch of sci-fi Romans, um, <clears throat> Thunder Warriors. Um, we're, we're trying to keep it. That's IP. <laughs> uh, um, this project was uh, a slow burn of mine um, that I wasn't anticipating to be ready so soon. It was with a, a Carlos as the 3D designer who's just kicking goals with it. He's doing a phenomenal job and he's just burning through uh, the, the list of models. So the uh, the end result is we're looking at three separate squads of eight 
individual models. So each, so 24 unique posed models. Um, each squad will be armed differently. And then like a command squad of, depending on stretch goals, one to six models. Um, so it's going to be a big project. These guys are, are big. They're, they're custode size, so they're not marine size. They're, they're big boys. Um, I, I reckon, personally, I believe Carlos has nailed the aesthetics to be uh, like they are clearly sci-fi Roman, but they are also, uh, it's pretty obvious what they're intending to be, um, but he's, he's kept it unique and um, a, a good compromise of we're not just going to lift the, the aesthetic directly off Rogue Trader and that sort of stuff. Obviously, there's, there's legalities about that, but it's obvious what they're trying to be and they've got their own aesthetic sitting there. Um, so I'm really excited about that project. That's, that's going to be a really big one. Um, and I reckon that's going to be first quarter next year. Um, and kind of, yeah, <laughs> there's some uh, Xenos projects like some Eldar, Exodite Eldar, and that sort of stuff. That's, that's early kind of drawing board stuff. So. I mean, there, there's always Oryx. I'm, I'm just putting that out there. Don't, don't mind me. Oryx are a hard one because there's so many third-party companies that do it. Um, I'm... With my models, I, I try to I try to be careful where I go because I've got such finite resources and that sort of stuff, and right. I've got to be careful what I pick and choose. So a lot of the I've got two types of models that I do. So our, our annual model, uh, which is often based off um, an agent or uh, an idea that uh, the the last two models were actually done in consultation with the winner of the best narrative person at Active Heresy. So it was kind of a, a prize for one of our events, the annual events here. Um, so they're kind of really unique ones. And then the projects, the bigger projects like the Unarmored Marines, the Mark I Terminators, they're projects that I feel is something that's missing in the current range of models available, but something that in the narrative there's there's a niche for so the unarmored marines were primarily a um like an, an objective or a, a narrative thing uh, to represent prisoners of war and everything um the mark ones were something that people were really keen on and when i embarked on that project th there wasn't anyone else kind of doing it with the intent of trying to get them available publicly um same as the sci-fi Romans, there's kind of a few little projects floating around, but uh, there's a growing interest in the unification wars and everything. Um, whereas Exodite Eldar, again, no one's really doing it, but Orcs, there's a lot of people doing Orcs, so I'd be a little worried about trying to break it. And, and I'm just trying to essentially be very uh, selfish in my case. I know that there's, you know, you've got like 500 different third-party companies that make a different type of orc and but the best thing is is that you could all you can throw all of them into an orc army and they all look like they belong there that's the beauty of the orcs yeah like you've got the the people of the likes of Cromlech and rtlw who just do phenomenal stuff mm -hmm. and then you've got individual squads and units and vehicles scattered through a dozen third-party suppliers as you said it's it'll cost you a fortune to build an army that way but uh it would look phenomenal I don't know. That's why you buy a printer. Um, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs>
No, but um, cannot wait to to see all of these projects, um, Andrew, as, especially this, you know, the the coming one with the uh, the Arbite. I know our our own Jared can't wait. Um, I I may have posted a the concept art picture that you had just recently posted up, and he certainly got really excited. So. Cool. And anything oh, that reminds me of Judge Dredd will make me happy. So, <laughs> yeah, there's certainly some solid crossover with that particular branch of the Imperium. <laughs> yeah, just as long as he's on a hover bike and, you know, it's little resemblance of Sylvester Stallone, we're good, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll see how we go. Alternative head, maybe. <laughs> there we go. Well, Andrew, I wanted to thank you again so very much for for joining us on heresy grad school it it's an absolute pleasure man and hope to have you back soon thanks guys great to talk to you again <laughs>